Welcome to episode 15 of Critical Care in Emergency Medicine, a production of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians committed to board certification and democratic group practice. In this episode, Dr. David Farsi, Chairman of the Department of Emergency Medicine at Mount Sinai Medical Center, Miami Beach, and President of AAEM speaks with Dr. Amal Matu, a tenured professor, Vice Chair of Education, Director of the Faculty Development Fellowship, and Co-Director of the Emergency Cardiology Fellowship in the Department of Emergency Medicine at the University of Maryland. In this episode, Dr. Farsi and Dr. Matu discuss a treatment algorithm for emergent invasive cardiac procedures in the resuscitated comatose patient, an article published in the Journal of the American College of Cardiology. Good afternoon and welcome to AAM Critical Care Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Farsi. And let me first apologize for the delay in recording our podcast due to unforeseen circumstance. Uh, I had to delay, but it's a pleasure to come back today. And for this episode, I have a treat. I have the honor and pleasure to have the charismatic, amazing speaker, author, and recipient of multiple educator award, the only and famous Dr. Amal Matu. Dr. Matu is a professor of emergency medicine at the University of Maryland. He is the vice chair of education. Director of Faculty Development Fellowship, the co-director of the Emergency Medicine Cardiology Fellowship, and he speaks all over the world, multiple publication and textbook, and it's a great honor to have him. Today our topic will be, is PCI indicated in post-cardiac arrest comatose patient? So Dr. Matu, number one, thank you very much for your time. I know you're an extremely busy person. Well, thanks for that uh, very generous introduction. That was over the top for sure. How's Maryland? Uh, Maryland is good. We're starting to warm up a little bit, and uh, the humidity hasn't set in yet. I'm sure down in Florida, it's probably uh, a bit more humid already. Yes, it is. I don't miss Maryland, to tell you the truth. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll start with a case. So this is a case we saw recently. This is a 48-year-old male, healthy, who during a basketball game drops and is found unconscious. CPR is initiated by his friends, and EMS arrives within minutes, and the patient is taken to our institution, and in route, he has a return of spontaneous circulation. When he arrives to us, he has a GCS of three. We, perform, we start postcardiac arrest uh, resuscitation, and we perform an EKG, and the EKG shows no ST segment elevation. So we'll leave the case to there and we'll come back to the case. But in America, there is about more than 350 American that suffers out of hospital cardiac arrest. And the survival is extremely small with only 12%. And we know that the majority of the cardiac arrests are due to coronary artery disease. The recent American Heart Guideline for post-cardiac arrest with ST segment elevation made it a class 1 if the patient is awake and a class 2A if the patient is in, in the coma. So, Dr. Matu, where do we start to digest and what do we tell our residents? Well, I think that the American Heart Association guidelines that you referenced 
largely focus on the mental status. And I think that's really not the proper way of evaluating or, or deciding whether these patients are going to be best managed immediately in the cath lab or not. And in fact, there's probably a much, 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 one more time, much better article that was published in Journal of American College of Cardiology that I would refer everybody to. It's an article by Tanvir Rab. The last name is R-A-B. And it was published in Journal of American College of Cardiology in 2015, uh, volume 66, pages 62 to 73 for anyone that wants to reference. And the title of this article is Cardiac Arrest, a Treatment Algorithm for Emergent Invasive Cardiac Procedures in the Resuscitated Comatose Patient. So first of all, notice that the word comatose is already in the title. And this article was published on behalf of the Interventional Council of the American College of Cardiology. So this is I'm guessing kind of the the highest order of interventional cardiologists making these recommendations. And they made it quite clear that the decision about whether to take the patient emergently to the cath lab is not so much based on the mental status, because most patients that are post-arrest don't have much mental status, and we can't really prognosticate what their mental status is going to be during the ED visit. It, it takes days. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you know a lot more about neuroprognostication of post-arrest patients than than I do. But that decision is largely based on a handful of other factors, the, the first factor being the EKG. And as you said, if the EKG shows ST elevation infarction, then there shouldn't be a lot of argument about that. That gets a class one level of recommendation in AHA and also in the 2013 ACC AHA STEMI guidelines, they gave that a class 1B recommendation. And in this article by Rab also the default is for the post-arrest STEMI, you take them right to the cath lab. So there's not a lot of argument about that. The patient that you presented is a little bit more difficult because it's a relatively young person who has non-ST elevation on the post-arrest EKG. And in that scenario, the decision is largely made on a handful of other factors. Part of it is what was going on with the patient. Was the patient having chest pain or is there any reason to think that the patient did have a primary cardiac event? If so, then that strongly favors taking the patient to the cath lab, and there's probably a better outcome there. Was the patient complaining of headaches? If that's the case, maybe you need to worry about a subarachnoid hemorrhage and get a CAT scan first before you do anything. What was the initial rhythm? If the initial post-arrest rhythm was found to be V-fib, that strongly predicts that the patient has a primary cardiac event and a cathable lesion. And, and so there's a handful of other factors that are exclusive of the mental status, which need to be evaluated. And in the article, they talk about these factors and they call them resuscitation features or more appropriately, unfavorable resuscitation features. And the more of these unfavorable resuscitation features a patient has, the less benefit they're going to get by going to the cath lab. And I'll just list these unfavorable resuscitation features that were in the article. There's 10 of them. If I can number... just stop you one sure. second. Yep, so just want to go back and review a couple of the very, very important point that you mentioned. You mentioned that this, you know, not every case is similar and we have to get further information. We have to risk stratify the patient and we have to put the patient in a category that we think the patient suffered. So for example, you said if you had a headache before you fell, you might have more a subarachnoid or something in the brain. And if you had chest pain, maybe more cardiac. If you failed right. with no information. I think it's very important we try to stratify. 
In this case of the patient, he had no headache, no chest pain. He just dropped, dropped down. And just, you know, all the cardiologists seems to love to quote these numbers, saying that, you know, mortality in post-cardiac arrest patient with STEMI who are awake, uh, the mortality is only 5%. But when they go into with coma, well, like you said, most patients has an ultra-mental status. And by the way, we have no good tool to evaluate coma or, pre- or predictor at this moment. There are several ongoing projects, research. But they quote the number of 50% mortality. So that's a much higher, and I think there's a also political, but I'll talk more about this at the end. So go ahead, sorry. So you're right. Uh, the 5% mortality if the post-arrest patient is awake, 50% mortality if the post-arrest patient is unconscious. But 50% mortality also means it's 50% survival. So, you know, the glass is half empty to them, half full to us. I think 50% survival in somebody that just had a cardiac arrest is pretty darn good. And the perhaps the best chance that that patient has post-arrest, if they coded because of a primary cardiac lesion, the best chance they have of surviving is to open up that artery that has the lesion. And so there's quite a bit of literature that's come out recently that has really favored taking even the non-ST elevation ACS patients to the cath lab. Now, the caveat there is that most of these, if not all of these studies are retrospective. It's it's awfully tough to do a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled study in post-arrest patients about whether they go to the cath lab or not. So these are retrospective studies. But even these patients that have non-ST elevation ACS that are unconscious, I think the studies indicate that perhaps as many as 20 to 30% of those patients will have a culprit lesion that can be opened up in the cath lab. And that, relatively speaking, that's a lot of patients that stand to benefit by being aggressive about taking these patients to the cath lab. Now, of course, we don't want to overuse our resources. And another really important point for us as emergency physicians is to remember that sometimes the best chance a patient has is not in the cath lab, but actually to get resuscitation in the ED. It's important to remember that when when you send a patient to the cath lab, all the cardiologists are doing is doing the cath. They're not doing much of anything about airway they're not focused on the acid-base status or metabolic problems or really anything other than the cath in terms of trying to help the patient survive. So if a patient needs anything other than a catheter and a balloon or a stent, then the emergency department is the best place for them to be. We should focus on resuscitating them before sending them to the cath lab. So that's where these unfavorable resuscitation features come into play. And these are features that, based on the best evidence, the literature says that the more of these that a patient has, the less benefit immediate cath is going to have. The more of these features that a patient has, the better off they are staying in the emergency department to get rapid resuscitation, and then they can be later evaluated for cath. So what, what are those unfavorable resuscitation features? Well, number one, if it's an unwitnessed arrest, that is a negative resuscitation feature that goes against the benefit of immediate cath. If the initial rhythm is not V-fib, so for example, if they had a Brady asystolic or PEA arrest, then that somewhat goes against it being a primary cardiac event. If there's no bystander CPR, if it took more than 30 minutes before they got return of spontaneous circulation, if there's ongoing CPR upon arrival, that's kind of a no-brainer. 
If the patient's acidotic with a pH of less than 7.2 or lactate greater than 7, if the patient has end-stage renal disease, and then, of course, if a patient has a non-cardiac cause, and also if a patient's very, very elderly, they say over 85, all of those, those 10 things I just listed weigh against going immediately to the cath lab. And instead, they favor keeping that patient in the emergency department to focus on resuscitating them first, and then they can be evaluated for cath a little bit later in the hours or in the, in the day later. So the patient that you're presenting, 48 years old, relatively young, he had a cardiac arrest in front of other people, and you said, I, I believe you said that there was bystander CPR, and he had return of spontaneous circulation relatively quickly, in other words, within 30 minutes. My guess is that he's probably not extremely acidotic if he had ROSC that quickly. So all of the things that you've just presented would favor taking this patient to the cath lab immediately rather than just keeping them there in the emergency department because this patient really does not have those unfavorable resuscitation features as documented and demonstrated in this, this article based on the best evidence that we have. So Dr. Matu, thank you uh, very much. I mean, you brought some extremely, extremely important points. And I think the key point that you brought up is something that I emphasize a lot is post-cardiac arrest, there is the post-cardiac resuscitation that needs to be done by the ED team. This is, I think, in emergency medicine, we've gotten to a point of confusion between a non-cardiac arrest STEMI where we're rushing EMS, STEMI, they go to the cath lab, we don't do anything, we barely do an exam, and they go to the cath lab. But this patient, like you said, we have to do a lot more. We, does he has an airway? Do we need to secure the airway? Has the blood pressure? Do we need to maintain the blood pressure? We should check labs. Is this patient, you know, lactate, has a lactic acidosis, a metabolic acidosis? Do we need to support some organs? So I don't think we can define the time to go to the cath lab, but like you said, we need to re-stratify based on those 10 points. Is this a good summary of what you just said? Yes, exactly right. So now it's, I think there's also, and maybe this is too much for this podcast, but I think there's also the, an emotional component that we need to check because you know, we put the resuscitation, we have, for example, let's, let's say this 47-year-old, and let's say you had two or three or four or five of these unfavorable resuscitation, and the cardiologist is like, I don't want to take them. And then I think it's a professional conversation that we need to have, and we need to respect the decision if it's an evidence-based decision that the cardiologists make. Too often I see people argue over, you know, they're not doing the catheter. And I, I tell my staff and my residents, you're not doing the catheter. Respect the interventional cardiologist's decision. Yeah, I, I think these conversations are best done uh, during the daytime and not at one o'clock in the morning when the cardiac arrest patient actually arrives there. So that is a more effective time to review the literature and actually have a more evidence-based discussion about what the best way is in any given department to manage post-arrest patients. I, I think I can't overemphasize how important it is for everyone out there to take this article, to take the literature and sit down with the cardiologist and discuss a plan for how you as a department want to manage these patients. Oftentimes, the cardiologists simply don't have this literature. They don't have this algorithm. And gosh, you know, this, this paper that I'm, I'm quoting all this stuff from is written by the interventional council of their specialty. And so it's awfully tough to argue with what this paper is recommending. I think this is a, 
really a, a landmark paper from the emergency medicine standpoint in terms of what we should be presenting to them. But again, the problem is that so often these arguments happen at one or two o'clock in the morning when the patient arrives and no policy or protocol has been set up prior to that phone call. And this has to be done during the daytime in conference room meetings where you can sit down and, and go over all this stuff so you don't have those arguments and disparity between what one cardiologist may think about and what another cardiologist may think about. What we did, we, we sat down with our cardiologist and it just so happened we were already in the process of discussing a post-arrest care plan with our cardiology folks when this paper got published. As soon as this paper got published, we just presented it to them and it was pretty much adopted instantly by the uh, our department and cardiology and adopted also at the 14 hospitals, the University of Maryland network around the state because of this paper. And I think it's a really great thing to do to sit down with the cardiology folks and come up with a plan. And uh, I can tell you that it was in 2016 that I think you first put that slide in one of your talk. And, you know, I downloaded the paper and I did exactly that. As the chair, I sat down with our cardiologists, interventional cardiologists, and we went through the paper, we discussed the paper. And I can tell you right now that that algorithm on page 64 is we made a big, large board in our resuscitation unit, and we go exactly by the algorithm. And like, like you said, emergency medicine is preparedness. We need to prepare for the actual case. It is not at 2 o'clock in the morning that we're going to argue. These things, like you said, happen in meetings before established policies. One last thing, and this is, I know, probably impossible for you to discuss, and this is maybe more me as a president of AEM thinking, but there seems to be a, the American Heart Association, Hillcore, and even this paper report that, you know, maybe there's a fear because of the national reporting on physician mortality and that it's drive, it might be driving some of the decision-making of the cardiologists of not taking the patient because they're afraid it's affecting their own metrics. Do you have any thought on that? Yes, it is definitely a fact of life for the cardiologist. And I, I don't think it's something that we as emergency physicians are really thinking about or we're even aware of to much extent. And, uh, you know, even a lot of my colleagues and certainly our residents have no idea that the cardiologists and the surgeons also, and I suppose any interventional type of specialty is under the gun in terms of public reporting of their post-procedure morbidity and mortality data. And I, I believe it's either CMS or joint, I don't, CMS, I don't know what CMS. organizations, C, CMS is responsible for overseeing this and hospitals oftentimes get payment based on, on these type of statistics. So there's clearly an incentive to not want to do procedures on patients that have a high likelihood of dying. And that certainly applies to the post-cardiac arrest patient. As an aside, it also pertains to elderly patients and left bundle patients, and it also applies to cardiogenic shock patients. And so that's why traditionally we've always had a tough time getting those patients aggressive management with cath as well. But back to post-arrest, post-arrest patients are at high likelihood to die no matter what you do, relatively speaking. And so there's always been a disincentive to want to take one of these high-risk patients to the cath lab because if they die, 
then it's going to look negatively on your personal, as a cardiologist, your personal statistics, and it's, it might impact your payment and the hospital's payment. Now, there are some states that are petitioning strongly to get rid of this public reporting of post-arrest care. So essentially, it's trying to make a waiver for post-arrest cath for this very reason, because patients that are post-arrest STEMIs, post-arrest non-STEMIs are not being treated as aggressively as they should be because of this. I don't know which states have been able to get the waiver approved, but I know that there are states that are looking into this. There have been editorials written by cardiologists in the cardiology journals about this particular topic, and it might very well be an issue that your cardiologists out there are facing and maybe a disincentive for or a reason why they are very hesitant to take these patients to the cath lab. And just for our listener, as the president of AAM, I will be meeting with CMS, and this is one of the ticket items on our June 12th lobbying day of 2018, and we'll be talking about That's great. Uh, That's great to CMS. hear. So, so to conclude the case, so the 43-year-old dropped, you know, it was actually daytime, we got the ABG. The ABG, it was pretty normal. His lactic wasn't too bad, and they decided to cafe him, and he had a 99% LED lesion, and uh, he was stented, and he woke up on day three and was discharged on day five, and it was, this was a pretty successful case. And because we had the conversation, because we had the protocol and the policy in place, there was no much discussion. He fit the category of a favorable outcome and went to the cath lab and had a favorable outcome. That's really great to hear. I think a lot of hospitals out there are still having these issues. And, you know, I I think it's real important to get that literature, to get that article in particular, since it, I think it has a lot of face validity since it was published on behalf of the Interventional Council. And also, this is not just a U.S. thing. It, It is becoming accepted this protocol or this plan worldwide, this very similar algorithm was published in Heart in 2015. Heart is probably the main cardiology journal in Britain. And a very similar protocol was published in the Canadian Journal of Cardiology in 2015. And then last year in 2017, the European Resuscitation Council published a very similar algorithm also. And what they all agree on is that post-arrest STEMI, the default is go to cath. Post-arrest non-ST elevation cases, you need to consider various factors, and you should strongly consider cath unless there are strong reasons to not do the cath. But mental status really should not be one of the factors that should, I guess, disincentivize, if that's a word, disincentivize people to take them to the cath. Okay. I'll uh, we'll put the reference on the website of AM where you download your podcast. On this, I think this pretty much concludes the topic, no? What do you think, Dr. Matu? I think so. I think so. But, you know, please stay in touch with any questions. If, if uh, either of us can help the people out there, uh, let us know. Correct. And I just want to take the time again, Dr. Matu, you're, you're an inspiration to a lot of people. And we truly, speaking as a person and as a president, we truly appreciate everything you do for the academy and your lectures. And it's extremely hard to talk following you because after this, the room just empty when I walk in. <laughs> well, thank, thank you very much for that feedback, Dr. Farsi. Appreciate all the work that you're all right, doing. Thank you very much, Mo. 
We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. For more information about AAEM, please visit our website, www.aaem.org. While you're there, be sure to check out AAEM Connect, where you can engage in a conversation around the issues discussed in this podcast. Find all episodes of Critical Care in Emergency Medicine and other podcast series on the AAEM website underneath the Publications tab. Join us again next episode as Dr. Farsi will discuss another topic of importance for emergency physicians.